1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? This place has known magic. Very dark. Very powerful. This time, I cannot hope to destroy it alone. Times like these, dark times, it can bring people together. Take my hand. They can tear them apart. These girls, they're gonna kill me, Harry. This year, Voldemort has chosen Draco Malfoy for a mission. Evil will pass through from their world into our own. These are mad times we live in, mad! darkest hour is beyond anything I imagined is upon us all in my life I've seen things that are truly horrific now I know you will see worse you're the chosen one Harry you have to realize who you are Without you, we leave the fate of our world to chance. You have no choice. You must not fail. It's over. From Warner Brothers Pictures. I have to do this. Fight back, you coward! Fight back! Hello and welcome to Is It Yours, the movie review show. 
Today we are looking at the sixth entry in the Harry Potter series, and anybody who listens to this show knows that that means Dave and Holly Weeder are with me. Welcome aboard again, guys. Hello. Hello. It's actually been a while since I've been here, so. Yes. It's, uh, <laughs> as we were saying before we started recording, it's, it's, seemed like for a little while I couldn't put on this headset without talking to you, and yet now, you know, it's been, I don't even know how long it's been since the last time we spoke, so it's its good to, to get back on with you. But as we record this, the next episode of Is It Yours that's going to post will be Order of the Phoenix. Oh, so nice. there is a certain symmetry to that. I don't know, what did we record that, like three or four years ago? <laughs> Seems like it. Yeah, it definitely feels like it. But today we're looking at Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. And just to give my quick impression, I I, I had to rewatch this in pieces. Uh, for some reason, I just kept getting interrupted and things kept coming up. So I watched, you know, like a half an hour and then something would come up. And then I watched an hour and something would come up. So I just watched the last half an hour just before we went on the air. And uh, I think that Order of the Phoenix kind of start, started to set the bar of we no longer care if you're an entry-level person. We're going to just assume you know what's going on and we're going to run with the story and we're not going to bother really giving you any exposition to tell you what's going on. And I feel like this one kind of took that and doubled down on it. That Agreed. it just assumed 100% that you've seen the prior five entries and that you're going to see the next two. And they're probably not wrong at that point. You've, I, either, I, you've, either, you've had years to get on board. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely think so. I think one through four, every one of them works as a standalone movie. But I think now we're part of a series. And I find it interesting to compare in retrospect to what they've done with the Marvel movies. Because they've become more and more, or at least it seems to me, especially... Uh, Endgame and, and uh, Infinity War, they certainly expected that you you have to know what went on in the prior movies or you're going to just be lost. Mm. Especially with all of the characters in those Marvel movies. I get that. Yeah, so I, I, I think it's a little bit of the same here. And, and this movie ran 153 minutes, so two and a half hours. So the last thing you want to do is take a movie that's two and a half hours and add an extra 20 minutes of exposition to it. Mm. So I think, you know, and, and like you said, Dave, it's 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 kind of at a point where it's a safe assumption. I'm sure there's a few people who have children who were just coming of age around the time that this movie came out. And this might have been the first Harry Potter movie that they saw. But even then, with the availability of home video, they probably it was probably the first one they saw in the theater. And they probably still had some exposure to Harry Potter in general before they saw it. I agree. I wouldn't see, I couldn't see somebody just going into this like, this is the first Harry Potter movie I'm ever going to see. Because starting off, they're going to be confused. It starts <laughs> yeah. off at the end of the last one. So. Yeah, it, it starts at the end of the last one and it ends kind of saying, hey, wait and see what's coming. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I, you know, once again, this is one that, you know, I had the book before it came out and I read the book and I don't remember there being a lot of things in this that I, uh, that I had any kind of 
you know, issue with as far as differences. And I'm on the wiki page right now, and I'm taking a quick look to see. Uh, the book begins with a scene involving the Mughal Prime Minister. Yeats and his crew debated over the scene, as well as the character of Rufus Scrimgeour, but gave up the beginning of the movie to events described but not seen in the book. Yeats thought it would give audiences a feel for what the Death Eaters were doing if they showed the collapse of the Millennium Bridge rather than simply describe it, as was done with Brockdale Bridge in the book. As with Goblet of Fire, the Dursleys were cut, which Steve Cloves did to break the pattern. Further background of Tom Riddle was removed, such as Gaunt's, because they felt it more important to concentrate on Riddle as a young boy, and an additional action scene at the borough was added to keep the tone of the franchise. Yeats felt that if they needed an injection of jeopardy or danger, and that without it, it was too much comedy and lightness. Now, just that seems to me to be almost crazy, because this was not a comedy and light movie. No. It has moments. It has moments. But it did not feel light. And then it says Dumbledore's funeral was removed, as it was believed it did not fit with the rest of the film. And I think the last scene... Uh, or the second to last scene uh, of Dumbledore's of the morning Dumbledore was good enough. They didn't need to have the funeral, so I agree. Yeah. I agree with their thought process on that. But this, there's very little. That's that's pretty much the whole Wikipedia entry on the differences from the book. So there's very little variance, uh, and certainly nothing of any real significant, uh, you know, of a significant nature. So I, I think, you know, what I read is what I saw pretty much. And I'm pretty happy with what I saw. I liked this movie a lot. And it is, you know, the effort to make it the penultimate chapter. You know, it's always darkest before the dawn. Uh, it's, you know, they're, they're making it, you know, this is Harry, you know, they, they basically set it up that, you know, next time out, you know, next time on an all-new Harry Potter, uh, it's going to be Harry against Voldemort. I think, you know, that's time. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like Andy's voice should pop in there. (laughs) Well, that's what I was doing. Uh, Well, I wasn't doing Andy's voice, but I was doing Andy's bit. No one could do Andy's voice. Well, Bill tries, and he does it really, really badly, and it's usually very funny. (laughs) But, uh, you know, what what did you guys think seeing this one? Had you read it, or were we still in the non-reading stage? I don't remember. Oh, I read it. I, I, Holly hadn't gotten to the reading stage. Yeah, I have. On this, I have. Before the movie came out? Yeah, because after... That's true. Um, after Goblet... Or, I'm sorry, after... Yeah, uh, after Goblet of Fire, I was like, I'm reading all of the books before I watch the next movie. So from that, from then on, I had, re- I had read everything before we watched the movies. So what was, what was your take on it as far as, you know, enjoying it, being disappointed, you know, to what... To what level did it meet your expectations or not meet them? I have mixed feelings on this one because I really, I like it and I find that it's a really good adaptation of the book. However, like that scene you were talking about where they added in um, the the battle at the borough. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, you didn't need that. That was totally just out of nowhere. It didn't really fit for me. And because they did that, they took out stuff that happened at the end that I thought they should have put in. But at the same time, the parts that were in there were, like, spot on. Like, 
um, when they get to the end with the cave and the uh, the locket. I mean, that looks exactly how I pictured yeah. it in my mind. Eerily so. Like, it was amazing. <laughs> I agree. I, it really hit hit it. Note, you know, scene for scene, note for note, the way I anticipated it. So I was I was thinking about when this film came out, and I double checked it. This was the first film to come out following the release of the Deathly Hallows. The book. Yeah, the book. So this is the first movie we went into kind of knowing the end game. Oh. So you're right, Holly. You had started reading this. So I, I I didn't think about that, but and that I think that kind of helped me. I, I I don't think I was disappointed. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot that I like about it, but it kind of helped me put it into different context than the previous films. The previous films were we didn't know the end. We didn't know how it was going to go. So we're looking for little nuances. With this, mm-hmm. we we knew what was coming. Uh, people who had read the books. Yeah, so we were looking for specifics to set up the next movie, we thought. Or, but it actually ended up being the next two movies. <laughs> now, I, I, see, I don't remember the timing on that. And I, I have no memory of having read The Deathly Hallows before I saw Half-Blood Prince. Well, Deathly Hallows came out in 2007. And this and is I remember 2009, that so okay. It's 2009, yeah. So I definitely I remember because I was I, locked away for a weekend. So. Yeah, I was like, yeah, when, when, by, the, <laughs> by the time Order of Phoenix came out, I was ordering them from Amazon. They would be delivered on release date, and I would read them you know, immediately upon receipt. Mm-hmm. So there's no question I had read it when it came out. I just, somehow I've wiped from my mind the fact that I was already, that I already knew the end game before I saw this. I, I did too. That's why I had to double check. So, and I wonder if that would tend. Again, I have no memory of it. I would wonder if that would tend to make it a little bit more anticlimactic to watch this, because you already know how it's going to end, even though you know how this story is going to go if you read this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but already knowing how it's going to resolve, I would think it, it would eliminate a little bit of the suspense from that. Yeah, know. but it adds some nuance because I was thinking about it, and the more I think about it, the more the scene with Dumbledore and Snape at the climax, knowing what Severus please means, made that scene a little bit more emotional than it, even than it was in the book. It was pretty emotional in the book too. Now I'm speculating in hindsight because again I have no memory of it, but I'm thinking it would be pretty powerful to watch it without knowing where it's going. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. because this series to me is one that's made for rewatching, you'd always be able to do that hindsight thing later. Yeah. Which I, I, I still I cry mind on that, that scene. <laughs> I still do. I can't help it. And and again, I think, you know, hats off to Alan Rickman for the way he played the role because, you know, despite the fact that he he ultimately was a heroic character. He was very, very three-dimensional in that he still resented Harry, although he protected him. He he clearly had a love for Harry and a resentment for him at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, because he reminded him of of his father and all of that stuff. Uh, but because of his mother, because of Lily, he loved him. Yeah. And, so, and, you know, there's like a, a huge level of conflict and, and you know, Rickman plays that without ever betraying it. Yeah, because Rowling described Snape as all gray. He's a whole gray area, and I don't think any other actor but Rickman could have brought that to the table. In fact, I love the scene when uh, Bellatrix and 
Lush, uh, well, what's her name? Malfoy's wife. Malfoy's Cis. mom. Narcissa. Narcissa, yeah. Um, show up at Snape's house, and, um, you know, the way he plays it, he... he he waits for them to say the words and then he cues off of them to get more information out of them. And it's mm-hmm. so nuanced, <laughs> you yeah. know, because you can see it happening. And especially if you read the book, you know, he doesn't actually know what's happening. But the way that he just plays with silence and lets them fill it up, then he gets to, you know, to figure out what what you know, Voldemort's plan is, what's going on. And that's a credit also to the director who yeah. knows when to let scenes breathe. And for the most part, I mean, he makes some missteps but for the most part, he knows how to pace a scene. Yeah, and this is Yates again. This is Yates. Yates will be through the end of the series now, mm. and into the Fantastic Beasts. Mm. We'll Don't talk more about that this. later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but now, uh, just to keep keep moving forward here, uh, I think I, it, it's hard to remember sometimes because I'm old and feeble, uh, much, <laughs> much like Dumbledore. Uh, but I seem to remember last... You know, for Order of the Phoenix, I said, okay, Michael Gambon's now making the part his own in his third movie, playing the character. Whereas before that, I just kept looking at him and thinking, I miss Richard Harris. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one, he now takes it a step further. I think, I think, you know, he's, I th- in my opinion, he's the MVP of this movie. Yeah, he, he I mean, really, we were watching it, and he has some very quiet nuance to him. I think this is where it galvanizes for him. Mm-hmm. And of course, this is his. You know, he's not that he's not in the Deathly Hallows, but this is his. This is the movie that he has the most screen time in as well. Mm-hmm. And he, I think he makes the most of it. And you, you. Again, you know, like, as as you, you mentioned, uh, you know, the nuances that Rickman would play, but I think he did as well. Uh, you know, with his knowledge of having a. a, a greater scheme but only being able to let harry in on so much of it but his regrets for using harry the way he does uh and and his you know the fact that he's torn in in, you know his his affection for harry but his knowledge of how he has to go forward and regretting having to put him through all of this but knowing he's their only hope there's just so much going on and i think he plays it really really well and i Silence you I, both. I, I was just, I was nodding my head, which is great for an audio medium. <laughs> we have one significant new character in this, and that's Horace Slughorn, played by Jim Broadbent. And I'm curious to see what you guys thought of him. It wasn't how I pictured the character, but I really enjoy his performance I, I, anyway. Yeah, I mean, because Slughorn in the book has like a big old mustache and a big old belly, and he's he's more like a big walrus. But uh, Jim Broadbent is he's just such a great character actor, and he really does play it really well. Mm-hmm. I really I really enjoyed his uh, performance. I thought he played it well, but as as you were just describing it, I think he might have been slightly miscast in the role, at least based on having read it the way I did, but if you cast somebody who was more similar to the way he was written, then you you start having too many characters that are like uh, Mad-Eye Moody and, mm-hmm. and Hagrid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, it was probably wise of them to cast somebody who was different from them. 
but because he, he's described by J.K. Rowling as a little bit more similar to them, that you'd be looking for somebody more similar in the role. Uh, like I said, it was probably wise, but it was because it, because he was different from what I had anticipated. I I never was able to 100% accept him in the role, if that makes sense at all. That makes sense to me, but I I do appreciate how he plays. Um, it's per, you know especially at the end when he gives up the memory finally, and he he plays that vulnerability so well. Mm-hmm. The, the, when he gives up the memory and when he has the false memory, mm. I think those are the two, you know, two best things. The, the opening scene of him in his house uh, when he <laughs> when he's he's disguised as the as an armchair. Uh, that's that's way I don't know, and maybe it's because it was the first time we saw him, and I just anticipated seeing something a little different. That's where you know it felt oh. it felt a little bit more flat for me there. Hmm. Now that to me, I thought I didn't think that his performance was flat. I thought that the choice to not have Harry say anything or do anything to try to convince him that you know Hogwarts is the best place, you know Hogwarts is the safest place to be. You know, if all of these people can send you stuff, they know where to find you, which is totally what Harry says. He just does. He just stands there. It's like, okay, what was the point? He's just bait at that point instead right. of an active participant. I I felt like that. That you know brought down that little scene, but uh, everything else was great. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll 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 say you know I'll, I'll go back to to what I said, and that I, I guess my disappointment goes more with the fact that I just anticipated somebody a little different, which is also there's been other points where we've talked about different casting choices, and it's it's never been I don't think any anybody in this series has given a poor acting job. Uh, there's been, you know, some moments here and there where they've been better than others, but I think Who most of most like of the times where I've been disappointed one? is, you know, because I picture someone else, and I don't remember. Usually, when I'm reading these books, and a character, you know, new character is presented, I do get a visual image in my mind, and and when, more often than not, I tie it into either an actor or a person that I'm familiar with. And I hmm. do not remember who I had the Slughorn. Not that guy from Flash Gordon again? <laughs> I, I do cast him in virtually every role. I would want to see... I want a stage play of Brian Blessed reenacting Harry Potter. Every character. He, he, maybe he should have done uh, an audio book. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, I guess I, I'm trying to think. I think I pictured somebody a little older... Ooh, Stephen Fry would have been good. Yeah, that would have been pretty well, pretty good. That's possible. That's not who I was picturing, but that's not bad. Yeah. You, we mentioned some of the additional scenes. There was one at the beginning that I wanted to comment on. Sure. With Harry in the the little cafe within the train station. Right. It wasn't in the book, but I actually like this scene because he's he's flirting with the waitress. He's trying to be a normal teenager, and Dumbledore shows up. And it's visually great, but. I like seeing that sort of candid moment with Harry. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have minded having some more of the things like that. You know, we, we lost out on the Dursleys, which is mm-hmm. okay, because they, they became almost too comical uh, in how they were presented. And this this is really not the movie for that. This is a dark, serious movie, pretty much. Right. So I, I don't know. mind that they cut them out, but I wouldn't have minded a little bit more 
slices of Harry's life. Although wasn't it wasn't this the one where um, in the books? I, I'm trying to remember. Wasn't this where like Aunt Petunia actually slipped, and they were talking about how last year. Um, Dumbledore said, remember your promise? Remember your last, and how last year they had been uh, attacked by the Dementors, and Vernon's actually like, what's Dementors? And she's like, they guard the wizarding prison Azkaban, and like slips, and some of her, I think that's from this book, if I remember. I I think you're right, because then in the the seventh book is when Dudley actually comes over to him and Mm -hmm. shows some affection to him. Oh, yeah. This is where Dumbledore showed up to discuss Harry's final year. Exactly. So it kind of, but at the same time, I can see not being able to shoehorn that in, so... But I I would have been more than happy to have that in there, but you would have had to... uh, you would have had to tone down the comedy elements Mm -hmm. that that they've had when when the Dursleys have been in there. This the scene they added in was effective towards that, and it shows... I mean, Dumbledore talks about asking too much of Harry, and Harry's once again drawn away from a potential date. Yeah, but Harry is not that smooth, and they made him way smoother in the movie here. <laughs> I didn't think it was that smooth. I mean, I thought I thought it was clumsily done, but like she's all, I get off at eleven, and now then he like you know checks his breath and props a breath mint, and I think that's funny because it's real, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I liked the fact that Luna was presented as actually being a capable person and not just a comic relief, mm-hmm. uh, you know, ditz. When she came and found Harry, I thought that was, you know, that was perfect. And she found him supposedly with a something nobody else believes. So right. it's like yeah. your head is full of, what's it called? Was it Nargles? Raxports. Well, got Raxports. And and that's <laughs> been kind of the case throughout because it was all, you know, they, they've they've had a lot of the things that she said that people have dismissed as being silly that have turned out to be, you know, have a basis in fact in this universe. Mm-hmm. So I, I like that. I like that aspect of her character, that she's not the crazy person that everybody sees her as. She's right. definitely she has... eccentric, but not crazy. I I like that scene, and I don't like that scene because I, I like her, um, but they replaced Tonks with her. Like, Tonks it has a big part in this book, and they really just show her... In oh, yeah. the um, in the Christmas scene, you know, in the holiday scene, when the um, the other uh, I can't the members of the order when the Phoenix? when the well no when they're attacked at the borough oh at the borough yeah and it's like okay hey I'm Tonks over here do you remember me all of a sudden I'm with Lupin like they cut out a whole thing like why did you even put her in there <laughs> if you're well, just gonna not <laughs> in, in the movie universe she definitely was you know minimized oh yeah not not even just in this movie I think just in general. Hmm. To me, I had a big problem with it because they not only they changed her looks, they kind of threw her in there. And and just watching the movies, it's like, wait, who's that character? Is that uh, you know? It took me a minute to figure out who that was supposed to be. I couldn't connect her with Order of the Phoenix and make you know that's the same person. Well, I I thought in the movies, actually, and in the book books, they could have just expanded a little bit on her relationship with Lupin to make it mm-hmm. seem more real. Uh, you know, it, it almost reads and seems like it's just a convenient thing. Okay, we put the two of them together. Uh, you know, they, they really didn't bother to work on... I can't even tell you that the two actors don't have chemistry together because we don't see them together enough to know. Right. 
So that, again, I mean, I like the Luna scene, but I'm, I'm like, I wish it had been Tonks, because then they could have expounded her a little bit more, but, you know, whatever, they didn't. <laughs> so Luna is great, though. And, you know, she's like, it was like being with a friend. I am your friend, Luna. You know, I really, mm-hmm. I, 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 I like well, that, her Well, that just makes you think how lonely she is. Mm-hmm. Which I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> that she, she doesn't even, you know, the people who consider her friends, she doesn't even know that they do. She just assumes they don't. So, that's probably like me. No. Aww. My friends Dave and Holly. <laughs> it's really far this away. Is, this is like being with a friend. <laughs> I've been in your house, Paul. Yes, you have. Yes, you have. And won't, if, if all goes well, at some point in the future, you'll be here again. Yes. But anyway, not to get too sentimental with us right here. <laughs> uh... Draco went on a journey in this movie. Yeah, that's actually that's that's where I wanted to go to Draco to see what you thought of not only where J.K. Rowling brought him, but how you think the actor, what's his name, uh, Tom Felton, did with it. This was a different turn for Tom Felton. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that he turned evil, but he he put a lot of work into this particular performance, and then visually they made they made it look like his hairline was receding. Because when I saw it, I thought it was. <laughs> well, more than it is in real life. I'll I was going to say, well, if you've seen him on The Flash, it is, so... But it made... It, he looked aged. Like, he didn't look completely unrealistically aged, but you could tell this was weighing on him, and Felton brought that to the table. He And him punching Harry, that scene, and the venom, that, that just the way he says it, ooh, that was intense. It was, and it's... Again, you know, we're seeing Shades of Grey... Because you see him do that, which, you know, you, you think that's a pretty heinous act on his part. And yet you can also see when he's, you know, carrying out Voldemort's orders that he's totally torn. Mm-hmm. That, you know, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't want to do this. He, his, his motivation in doing it is if I don't do it, they're going to kill me. Yes. It's not, oh, I believe in the Dark Lord and I want to do what he says. It's I'm doing this because he'll kill me if I don't. Right, and then he's got his aunt, Bella, you know, you should be honored, you know, blah, blah, blah. This is for the glory of the family. And I think at this point, uh, Lucius is in prison, is in Azkaban. Yes. So he's also trying to do it to gain the Dark Lord's favor. But, yeah, mostly just because he doesn't want to die. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's nice that these parts are, you know, layered a little bit, especially, the you know, the bigger characters like Malfoy. Uh you know, we we don't see any layers with uh, Bellatrix. Uh, she's just she's just freaking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> That's really all there is to it. Yeah, I mean, she's just totally enamored with Voldemort, and that's that's it. That's her whole purpose, basically. <laughs> yeah, she's she's pretty one dimensional, but and yet she's played in a way, even with her one dimensionalness, that she serves a real purpose because you hate her. <laughs> you know, and you know, you, you see enough of her to hate her, so that's you know that works out fine as far as I'm concerned. And and uh, Helena Bonham Carter definitely plays the crazy really well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'll say that's another thing I do wish they had put in was the big battle at the end when Harry, uh, you know, calls up the Order of the Phoenix or. Uh, Dumbledore's army and shares he's like here everybody take a sip of this liquid luck because something bad's going to happen while me and Dumbledore are away, are away 
that doesn't happen. It just, you know, Death Eaters invade the school, they break a bunch of stuff, they run away, set Hagrid's house on fire, Snape's like, I'm the Half-Blood Prince, that's it, Yeah. and then moves on. Like, that, to me, that's a little rushed, <laughs> and it could have been so much better. <laughs> okay, uh, I, I'm going to slightly disagree with you, because it didn't really feel rushed to me, um, except when you compare it to the book. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, you, you can only expect them to give you so much, you know, in a two and a half hour movie from, I don't even know what this was, 500 page book, 600 pages, something like that. It was like over that. 600 pages, yeah. Yeah, that's so, a big So, you, you know, you have to expect certain shortcuts to be taken. One of the shortcuts that I think was in the book and the movie is they, they introduced us to Fenrir Greyback. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a character that was appropriately frightening in the way he was presented. You know, he was kind of, I always saw him as kind of a counterpart to Lupin. You know, Lup, Lupin is the more gentle, res, you know, regretful werewolf. And and, and he's kind of like the werewolf wannabe. Well, Ferner's a, a werewolf, and he's actually the one that attacked Lupin when he was a baby and turned him into a werewolf. Right, right. I think we should have seen more of him, because he, he's yeah. a frightening character. Agreed. And, I, I mean, and, and it's the same in the book. We really didn't see that much of him in the book either. But, they, you know, she introduced him well, and she made him into a, a scary character, and then she just kind of, like, drifted off into other things. Kind of, now that you mentioned it, yeah. <laughs> so that, that's, you know, that's a story weakness, not necessarily a movie weakness, as far as I'm concerned. And it's, it's only a weakness to the extent that I have this curiosity that never got filled. Yeah, I'll give you that. On curiosity, again in the movie, I um I really like the memories, but I when you were reading that Wikipedia, I'm like I kind of regret their i their decision to not do more of the memories because I feel like if you're leading into the next movie, that was the basis. That's where you lay it down. Yeah, because it was very vague what the ring was. Well, and then ultimately the ring is. Well, I mean, you get no clue at all as to how Dumbledore knew it was there mm-hmm. or or what exactly the purpose was in, you know, putting it in this ring and hiding it there because other things are kind of hidden in plain sight. You yeah. know, the, the other Horcruxes <laughs> that we learn about next, you know, the next book. They were literally in the building. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it, it would have been, again, you know, you, you can only expect so much, uh, you know, she's writing 600 pages we're seeing a movie that's two and a half hours long uh you could either it's hard to say well they should have done this too because i'm not suggesting you cut anything out to add this in but i would have liked to have known a little bit more as to why voldemort hit it there and how dumbledore found Mm -hmm. it there because we it's just kind of like i know where where one of the horcruxes is let's go (laughs) well to me because they added in like the you know when they attacked the burrow in the in the middle of the movie that that w- that took time away. They could have left that out and then done the other story part of it instead. Movie pacing is very different, though. If there's an action-oriented movie, there's a certain logic that every so many pages of the script and minutes in the movie, there should be some sort of action beat. I'll give you that. But then, you know, and then the next movie, it's like, okay, the burrow is back. It looks exactly yeah. the Yay. same. Ah, magic! <laughs> 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 that didn't matter at all. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that is true. and that's, that, <laughs> But, you know, 
we'll we'll run with that. We'll talk maybe more about that when we get to the next one. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Any any other characters or actors that are worth focusing on at this point? Uh, they bring in, um, let's see, I mean, they bring in a few girls that are really not that important to the story, um, like Ramilda Vane and, and um, uh, Lavender Brown. I guess Lavender's probably the more important one as far as how she is in the story because she's Ron's love interest for, for a, a short while. Yeah, about 10, 15 minutes and, there. Oh, my <laughs> gosh, is she annoying. Yeah. <laughs> but haven't we all known somebody like that in our lives? Exactly. That's the, that's the thing. <laughs> um, but, you know, and then you get to see that kind of the progression of Hermione's feelings for Ron and figuring out that she really does like him, you know, and that she's jealous. And then uh, same thing with Harry and Jenny, although that was a little, yeah. Really? I, think, I think that one is presented slightly more subtly than Harmony and Ron. Yeah. Because you're it, still not 100% sure that's where they're going. Right. I just, uh, it, it, to me, it just, I liked it better whenever they won the, you know, the the Quidditch game. And then she, like, jumps in his arms and kisses him in front of everybody. And it's just like, in this, she's like, you can leave this up here, too. The, to me, they just have no chemistry. The actors don't. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and, the, and the, the way we find out really that uh, that you know that they are going to be together is you know when Ron is in the sick bed and he calls to her. <laughs> yeah. That otherwise, otherwise you really wouldn't you know you wouldn't know it from there how they act towards each other. Well, that I guess and when she when uh, she says she was going to invite him to the party <laughs> if he wasn't Sorry. acting like such an ass. <laughs> And it goes right over his head. That uh, that's he very get, on point. <laughs> that's very Ron. He did not get it at all. <laughs> um, are there? I don't think there's anybody else that's new that I can think of off the top of my head. Nobody else significant. I don't think. I mean, there's probably some background players that are of note at all. Wasn't this uh, where Bill comes in, or did he come? He came in a little bit at four. He's mentioned, but in the movie, Bill. Oh, I'm drawing a blank. Weasley. Oh, well, he's he, he's at least in the book he's mentioned in the first book. Yeah. And and he shows up in four. Um, For and the movies, five, I'm trying and... to. Did he show up in five? Was he in this one? I can't remember. Well, he got, that's how he got his face scarred. Right, but I don't think that they they explain that in this movie. Or like, I don't think he's in they, this movie they, at all. Well, he's in it. He, well, I believe he's in it because the scars are in the next one. They mention the wedding at the end. But it's like that whole plotline of Florida liqueur and Bill getting engaged was, it was kind of there, but it was thread thin. Yeah, because it was just like, you know, they in the next one, they come to pick up Harry, and he's like, oh, yeah, it's pretty, huh? Look at my face. It's all scarred. Oh, gotcha. So that's the next movie, but I can't remember if he's in this and movie. I remember a scene that didn't happen, because I thought the Molly Weasley scene happened here. Which Molly Weasley scene? Where she wasn't approving a floor, and then Floor's like, if you think that's going to make me love him less... I, I thought that did happen in the movie. I don't think that ever happened in the movie. No, okay, I think that okay. was just I'm in now, the book. I'm, yeah, that's just I'm in the now books, in which I love. Putting scenes yeah, in the movie the, that weren't there. Okay. Not in the movies at all. It was in your mind somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no, uh, they're not in this movie at all. Okay. I'm tripping. That I can recall. <laughs> there we go. I just it's put a weird. whole scene in my... It's weird for me. This movie, it's like, okay, there's the start, and then 
for some reason, I don't remember most of the movie until you get to the cave scene at the end. And then I remember everything. And it's like, I mean, there's there's definitely scenes that have happened and they're all very well uh, adapted to the book. But for it's, I, I don't know why I have such a hard memory of this this movie, although I enjoy it. This one more than others, I have the same thing because apparently I'm now misremembering <laughs> scenes from the movie. Yeah, I mean, in its own way, I say, and I thought I, I'm going to go back to qualify it by saying I really enjoyed this movie, mm-hmm. uh, but it's it might be the most forgettable of the lot. It it's just because it, it, again it it depends on what went before it and what's going to come after it. So even though it does move the plot forward I think it's really only memorable for the things that do move the plot forward which is really Dumbledore's passing mm. yeah man that scene in the cave though and he's forcing him to drink the potion and Michael Gambon's acting and I'm just like yeah. crying every single time and I you know credit to Daniel Radcliffe for his acting in that scene too yeah. when, yes. when, he, when he has to get him to drink it just you one know. more. Just one more. This is the last one, and I'm like, <laughs> it was. It's that is. I mean, it was emotional in the book, and Ugh. they sell exactly what needed to be sold as far as the core of that. So, you know, but I think it's mostly memorable for the plot moving forward, more so than individual scenes, even though there are scenes such as that that are significant. Uh, and and then there's other stuff like the, uh, you know, the, the scene with what's her name, Katie Bell. Oh, oh yeah, that's that's that's, that's a pretty uh, you know that that feels like it's out of The Exorcist. Yeah. Yeah, and again, looks just how you read it in the book. You know, she barely touches it. She raises up in the air. She's screaming. She slams to the ground. I mean, that's it. They did justice to it for sure. Yeah, and it's you know the whole the whole again. It just gets very dark. I, you know, the the series, the way it went, you know, the first two were fairly lighthearted, even though they had some dark moments. Then the third one becomes much darker. Fourth one kind of got lighthearted again until the end, when the end. <laughs> <laughs> when when it got dark again. Uh, the fifth one, I thought, wasn't it was it, it was there was a darkness to it, but the movie didn't feel like it didn't have that goth feel to it. This one almost mm-hmm. has a goth feel. Yeah, I'll give you that. Although there's, and it's weird though. The tone of this does fluctuate because there are some funny scenes, like when Ron gets poisoned. Uh, well, not poisoned, but when he gets <laughs> uh, poisoned by oh, the sorry. love potion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he's just like, uh, and again, you know, Rupert Grant was playing that hilariously, just you know, <laughs> touching everything. He's like, <laughs> and he ha- he has a tendency, or he had a tendency as a younger actor. Now he's getting a little older and a little bit more mature. But as a younger actor, he had a tendency to kind of overplay the comedy a little. Mm-hmm. And he he seems either either Yates as a director or himself as an actor have toned that down just a little bit and made it a little bit more subtle, which actually makes it funnier. Agreed. So, all of that <laughs> said, let me see. I do have a list here where we rank these in comparison to each other. Oh, good. That's I key. Remember. <laughs> I have to yeah, I don't remember it. which one's which. Okay, there we go. I have a page in my little notebook here. I'm still, still working on paper. Not everything's digital, my friends. So, <laughs> First, we'll say, is it yours? Where does it fall on the Jaws scale? Guys? 
I am going to put it... I've been struggling with this. It's right on the fringe of Jaws 3 and Jaws 2. I will give it Jaws 2 just because it has such emotional impact at the end. Holly? Um, yeah. For me, I'm going to I'm gonna disagree a little bit. I'm going to give it like a really low Jaws 1. Hmm. Oh, wow. Because... Every time I watch it, I'm I'm invested in the movie, probably because I haven't remembered most of it yeah. for some reason. But and then of course, yeah, at the end, I, it's so emotional. I'm sitting here almost tearing up right now just thinking about Dumbledore dying. <laughs> I know it's a fictional character, but I can't help it. But it it draws me in every time. So to me, being entertaining like that, that's that's a low Jaws one. I remember before this story came, before this book came out, J.K. Rowling in some sort of interview that I either read or heard uh, said something to the effect that, you know, characters have to die in these books because that's just the nature of them. And there's one character in particular that's going to die that my daughter begged me not to kill, but he's going to die anyway. And this is, you know, probably when the fourth book was coming out that she was saying this. Uh, So ultimately it was Dumbledore that she was talking about. And uh, it is, it is definitely, uh, a, a momentous moment and I guess you know it, it, it is almost your atypical or your typical rather not atypical uh, hero's journey that the you know the the father figure the mentor uh, you know the Obi-Wan Kenobi the uh, Gandalf has to be eliminated at some point to make the person grow and, and step up into that level himself so it, it's it is to be expected that he was going to be killed off, but it definitely creates the it's darkest before the dawn moment in this story, and that does make it memorable more than any other aspect of it. Uh, Dave, you were on a high Jaws 3, and Holly, you were on a low Jaws 1, and I'm going to come dead set in the middle and be Jaws, solid Jaws 2. <laughs> because I think it's rewatchable. I think there aren't any flagrant weaknesses to it. Uh, I don't think it's an all-time classic that I'm going to prop up to the next level, but I definitely think it's it, it's a movie that if I'm flipping through the channels, I'm stopping and I'm watching it. So I think it's almost the definition of a Jaws 2. I will, yeah. That, I mean, it's really, it's really weird because tonally the movie does shift a lot, you yeah. know. And, and the more I think about it, the more I'm like, there are some funny parts, you know, like when they're burying Aragog. <laughs> Yeah, and but you think about a school year being about what eight months out of the mm-hmm. year, you get a different path. I mean, of eight months, a lot can happen. So tones change in life. So that's true. No, I agree. And and if you think about those years in your life, and I think that's it's true for virtually anybody. Think about the years between when you were twelve and when you were seventeen, mm-hmm. uh, and I think you're going to come up with a lot of changes that occurred in your, in your yeah. life. So now, uh, just to to put it in sequence, Dave, starting from the highest rank to the lowest ranked, you are uh, two, five, one, four, three. Where are you placing this in there? As far as ranking, right under five. Because I think five is just a notch better. So we're going to go two, five, six, one, four, three is your ranking. Yeah. Yeah. Holly, you are one, five, three, four, two. And I'm gonna put this um, right after five. So. So you, it's you'll be one, five, six, three, four, two. Yeah. 
Now I am three mm-hmm. three five two one four. And just like the two of you, I'm gonna put this right after five, which basically has us all having this come in third out of the six movies right now. What's ahead of it and what's behind it are different, except we all have it right behind five. Mm-hmm. We all have five as our number two and six as our number three. Actually, I do want to change something. Sorry. No, Go ahead. <laughs> you, you can change. It's okay. I, Don't listen to I, that husband of yours. <laughs> <laughs> can I put it after after three instead of five? So you're after gonna go five? one five three six. Yeah. All right, just to be different from Dave and I. I think. <laughs> That's no, I'm fine. confused. Three is in Prisoner of Azkaban. After Prisoner of Azkaban. Interesting. So you Sorcerer's Stone, Order of the Phoenix, Prisoner of Azkaban, Half Blood Prince, Goblet of Fire, and uh, Chamber of Secrets. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay. Wow. <laughs> it's like I don't even know you. I know, but I, I, for some reason, when I'm thinking about it, although this one emotionally gets me, I find, um, or, or uh, I find Prisoner of Azkaban more entertaining as a movie. So. Well, so far I have Prisoner of Azkaban as my number one. Yeah. So, we can, we can run with that. Uh, so that'll do it for Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince. Next time uh, Dave and Holly are with me, we're going to cover the first part of the final part. Yay! The beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. The penultimate (laughs) movie of this particular saga. Hey, did you know that they're walking in the next one? They're camping. They're They're camping. camping. They walk in Lord of the Rings. They camp in Harry Potter. That's right. Well, I'm going to look forward to doing that with you guys because this is always fun. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for making the time for me. Thank you. Draco, years ago, I knew a boy who made all the wrong choices. Please let me help you. I don't want your help. Don't you understand? I have to do this. I have to kill you. Who's gonna kill me? Good evening, Bellatrix. I think introductions are in order, don't you? Love to, Elvis. But I'm afraid we're on a bit of tight schedule. Do it! He doesn't have the stomach, just like his father. Let me finish him in my own way. No! The Dark Lord has cleared the poison to do it. This is your moment. Do it! Go on, Draco! No! Severus, please have out a cadaver.